Hi, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to the MM&M podcast, coming to you live from the floor of the Health Expo conference in Boston, Massachusetts, my hometown. It's pretty exciting to be here. So what's even more exciting is that my first guest in my first live on location podcast in two years is none other than Ritesh Patel. Ritesh, welcome. Thank you, Steve. Good to see you. It's amazing, this, right? Look it, at how many people are here. I was amazed. It's, it's huge it and is. vast. I had heard that this was the CES of healthcare, and, uh, and they weren't lying. No, so. it's absolutely right. So good to be here. Good to see you as um, well in person. Good for to us. see you, too. Um, Ritesh, you have a new job, right? You're working yeah. at Finn Partners? Absolutely. And what are you doing? So uh, I am the, um, the title is Senior Partner Global Digital Health. And it's basically providing the same expertise, knowledge, capabilities that I was doing at Ogilvy at Finn for both our Finn clients, but also new clients, integrated marketing services, consulting services. So doing a lot of work already with clients around digital strategy, multi-channel, omni-channel work, that sort of thing, but also working with the innovators and uh, there's a big presence that Finn has in Jerusalem for example where if you're a healthcare startup you work with Finn to get going get your presence in the marketplace that sort of stuff so very well known in Israel as the company to come to if you're a healthcare digital disruptor and you want to get into the marketplace so and, and to build upon that and there's a lot of uh, digital development taking place in Israel big right? time yeah huge amounts you know if you look between Tel Aviv Haifa uh, Jerusalem there's a massive amount of digital health that's coming through innovators and you know if you think about it in that market you know, the innovations are occurring but the market isn't as big as say the US so how do I get to the US for example mm -hmm. right or how do I get to Europe, that sort of thing. So the technology and the wherewithal from a technical perspective is, uh, is unbelievable in Israel. What's, what's the most exciting thing that you're, you're working on? I would say at the moment that a couple of things without sort of, you know, confidentiality. One of, of the, the big ones is how a major hospital system can innovate and really start looking at the patient experience from the front door, as they're calling it, the digital front door where a lot of hospitals are sort of focused on, but these guys we're working with are looking at going through all the way, like when you come in, when you're there, post-visit, home health, how do we make sure that we keep track of you and give you the best experience and make you well again, as opposed to a lot of people who are creating sort of the digital front doors to say, hey, connect with me, I'll remote, remotely manage you, but they don't consider how I actually navigate the hospital, how do I go through, you know, basic things like every time you go to a department, you have to fill in a form. Well, why do you have to do that if we've got iPads everywhere, right? So let's just integrate the whole thing in the back end. So you sign in once, like a hotel, and I've got all your data in one place, and then I can give it to you after you go, things like that. Right. Right. And when you say the front door digitally, I assume that what you mean is before you even... You know, make the journey to the hospital. Exactly. You're looking at uh, you're looking at the hospital system online. You're starting your experience as a patient exactly. online and moving all the way through discharge and, and post care treatment. Exactly. So a lot of hospitals are spending a lot of money on that patient portal, as they call it. But if you've experienced any of these, particularly the Epic system patient portals, they're not that great. Right. <laughs> so 
So how do we do that? You know, so how do I find the right physician for me? Where are all my appointments? Where are all my bills? Where are all my claims? You know, where's my electronic health record? Am I connected to my past prescriptions? You know, all of those things come into play in one place. It should be simple. It should be. But right? it's not. No, because in the back end, you've got different departments with different systems, different billing systems. You think it would be one, right? Because it's one building. But radiology will have a completely different system to manage you as a patient than the pharmacy does, which may be connected to the EPIC system, which manages the EHR that the doctor uses to actually prescribe you the medication. But in a lot of cases, the pharmacy is using a completely different system to the one the doctor uses to manage you. Mm -hmm. So how do you pull all that together? So the good news is with the open data rules that were passed in April, the EHR system providers can't put any toll gates on there anymore. They have to give you access. It's the law. Is this something that's been accelerated by, by COVID? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. How, how so? So, you know, chronic care patients were not going back into the buildings because they couldn't because the building was on lockdown treating COVID patients. So I'm not getting the care I want, right? So how do I change that paradigm? How am I going to access with telehealth booming when March, April, May last year, when I couldn't really talk to a doctor, telehealth started to take off. We saw that spike with 80% of visits on telehealth, May, June, July, August of last year. It's petered off now, now that people are getting vaccinated and going back to see their dentist and their GP and everything else. But you're still at now 44 to 55% in some places. So COVID has forced a lot of that behavior change because I still needed to get care. And how do I do that? So you can't really talk about uh, access to anything digital in the health space without, um, without having to have, if you're, if you're doing it properly, having to have some sort of view into DE&I issues. Yeah. And you're actually uh, speaking on a panel that MM&M is, uh, is, is hosting this afternoon to talk about DE&I. How do you reconcile with the work that you're doing digitally with the fact that underserved communities tend to have lower access to, uh, to digital health portals and the like? So one of the reasons I joined FIM was that is one of the big mandates, public health, public policy, health equity. It's a big thing that Gil Bash, who's the global chair of health at FIN, is very, very particular about and very passionate about. And that was one of the things that really attracted me to FIN. So, I, and, and again, thank you for having me on the panel today. It's a massive issue. I always, have, in the last few podcasts that I've done, um, I've been saying things like, I'm afraid we're creating a two-tier system with this push to digital. Those who have access with digital and those who don't. Right. A very good friend of mine, T. Faircloth, we've been working on rural health, right? You know, if you look at the pandemic, one of the other things the pandemic has done is the shutdown of rural hospitals. So now where you had the only hospital for 300 miles, it's gone. So now you've got to drive 500 miles to the next hospital, right? right? So I, I do believe, and I agree with you, that there is a, a real... Sorry, a real danger that we are creating another two-tier system with Wi-Fi, things like that. So I'm doing a lot of work in the area of how do we get rural health going? Is there a way we can actually do provision of care uh, to those places with cheaper devices, things like that? So let, let's talk a little bit more about that because I'm particularly interested in that. You've got, you've got the, uh, w with rural areas, you've got, you've got a technical problem that you need to serve right um, and in urban areas you have 
in some cases also a technical problem, but uh, an access problem as well. So is it a three-tiered problem or is it a, a multi-parted two-tier problem? I think it's a multi-parted two-tier problem. In the rural cases, really Wi-Fi, access to the internet. You know, you look at some of the reservations, right, for yeah. the Native Americans. There's one building with one iPad that's got access to Wi-Fi or some sort of 3G even, right, or LTE kind of thing. So is there a way to get those infrastructure providers and that's why I think part of the Biden bill on infrastructure is addressing that issue which is broadband access it should be you know just like anything else that we have electricity etc so I think that's one problem the second problem is that once you have that broadband access now you've got to get access to the things you need to manage your health and some of them are very app heavy based when I work with startups one of the questions I ask them is am I going to have to download an app on an iOS device only if that's the case, you've actually committed to a very small number of people who have these iOS devices who can afford the latest iPhone with the biggest gadget to download this app. Why don't you make an Android one instead, which has got more ubiquitous uh, capabilities? Mm -hmm. So things like that. When, when you pose that issue to them, what do they say? Unfortunately, at the moment, it's the, well, I need to get the best customers first, and iOS is the behemoth, and, so, and it's easier to develop because... Apple has done one thing really, really well, which is create the infrastructure on iOS that enables the development of health-related apps very, very quickly with HealthKit, ResearchKit, CareKit, right? And they've done it by design, obviously. This whole privacy thing they're going on, it's a red herring. They're not fighting Facebook. They want you to know that your phone is private because when they launch the health portal, <laughs> you'll go rock on, it's private, right. right? Subliminally. So it's a whole pattern that they've set up. So I think that's the issue. So it comes back to equity. I mean, we, it, we, you and I were speaking last week um, in preparation for this afternoon's panel, and you, and you said um, E&I are a yeah. particular area of focus. Yeah. If, you know, let's say that you live in a city and there's ample Wi-Fi in the city, but you still need... You, you still need... You need a device. You need a device, yeah. and you need the knowledge to use that device. Yep. Do, do we have a responsibility in healthcare to, to provide that access and the education? I would submit to you, absolutely. And I think there are cities that were doing it pre-pandemic. If you look at the work that was done in New York with providing Wi-Fi access using those old payphones and converting them That's into right. Wi-Fi right. yeah, on, on the corners, yeah. Genius, right? So now, but the problem is we didn't do that next step, which is what you're talking about, is, okay, so now we've given you the ability to access, what can we give you to access that thing, right? Most of the devices that are out there are pretty expensive. You look at, um, you know, one of my clients is Mount Sinai. They have the luxury of dealing with the Upper East Side, mm -hmm. the probably most wealthiest people in town, and also the Upper West Side, Harlem and the South Bronx, which is the most poorest part of Manhattan, right? So how do you balance the two and what do you give them that's going to be ubiquitous? And they've been working on that for a while on the public health side. I think devices uh, and then encouraging the people who are looking at doing this kind of thing to think of the lowest first, not the highest. So don't think of iOS. Think of the person who maybe can use a burner phone and use, put a gadget, you know, put something there instead. Think of that first. And you can always go up, but if you go start at the top, you can never go back down. So I work with a lot of startups in encouraging them to do that and think of the, the people that are the most underserved and can we do something there? Because the market's huge. 
And then you still, but those, those patients still need to actually get in front of a doctor. Yeah. And, yeah. and how do you, how do you clo- use technology to close that gap? So there are two ways you can do that. You know, telehealth has become ubiquitous now. Three years ago, if we we're having this conversation, I wouldn't have mentioned telehealth because it was only teledoc or American Well, right? And they were expensive as hell. I can now securely FaceTime my doctor. So we are used to that. You know, some of the muscle memory that we're developing, we're used to Zoom or FaceTime or Teams, uh, you know, all of those things. We're used to... Uh, in our muscle memory now, scanning a QR code to get anything, right? We go to a restaurant, a bar, or whatever, you have to scan a QR code. You don't have to download anything anymore. So let's use those technologies and that muscle memory behavior and see if we can implement that for access to the doctor. You've got people who are doing this in places like Africa, in Rwanda, in Uganda, in Mozambique, in Tanzania, with 24-7 access to doctors. So if I'm sitting in Ghana, I need an access to a doctor, I can actually access a doctor in Uganda, or I can access a doctor in Rwanda. I don't have to be in Ghana. That one of the problems we have here in America is that CMS and HHS needs to allow doctors to provide services across state lines. Right now, if I'm licensed in Nebraska, I can only provide care right. in Nebraska, right? But I'm a doctor, and I've got bandwidth. Why shouldn't I be able to care for somebody in New York? So, and your license might not allow you to write a prescription that would be fulfilled in another state too, exactly. which is also an issue. Exactly. There's an interesting aspect to the the work that you described in Africa. In a in a former life, I actually spent quite a bit of time uh, all over Africa um, on a health project. And one of the things I learned is that the in in a lot of ways the uh, communication systems were. Uh, uh, pretty far ahead of us in the West because when you're building a network for the first time, rather than trying to retrofit copper wires, you can just go right ahead and build yourself a 4G or a 5G system. And the, adapt- the adaptation tends to be, you know, maybe it's not bleeding edge, but it's certainly state of the art, which, which has, as you said, some really interesting applications. I've got a great anecdote for you. Four, three years ago, I was working with a lady in, out, of South Af- uh, sorry, out of Spain who went to Rwanda to build an app for tracking malaria. And she, she, she tells this story really well. I had her on a podcast recently. She went with the notion of being in Spain. And she realized all the things that she had in her head of the way she was going to do this had to be thrown out the window because she had to do it text messaging based instead. Right, right. right? And this is what I say when I, when, this is what I mean when I say, I, when I talk to the startups, I say, that's your lowest common denominator because you can always build up from the text messaging platform. But unfortunately, here in America, we're always wanting the biggest gadget first, right? The, right. the iPhone thing first. But if those guys who are doing this and anybody listening to this, if you look at the common denominator at the lowest level and then pick up, you'll get a bigger market share, I think, and you'll, you'll provide the care that's required. So. Let's switch gears a little bit, Ritesh. Sure. My, my guest, uh, you're listening to the MMNM podcast coming to you live from uh, the floor of health, HLTH in Boston. My guest is Ritesh Patel from Finn Partners. Ritesh, what are you looking forward to most here at the show? This is my first time. I actually tried to avoid this. <laughs> Too many celebrities here. You know, I just ran into about six oh, people. Oh, come on. You're, you're, you're a gadfly in this <laughs> yeah, industry. I know. So... I'm, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk to some of the people. Just before I came here, I, we, I sat in on a 
talk that was being done by, uh, sorry, the people on the panel were Sri from CVS and Marcus from Walmart, and they were talking about the pharmacist of the future. One of my big passions, because if you think about it, the pharmacist is in every part of the country, right? Walmart right. And, and CVS between them have about 20,000 locations. So why can't we, to talk about equity and inclusion, provide the, give the capability to the pharmacist to provide GP services? So I'm looking forward to having listening to Marcus and Sri from CVS and Walmart as to how will they achieve that. People like that. So that's one of the things I'm looking forward to is finding these people and talking to them and saying, okay, you had a great speech on the panel, but tell me, is it real? Is Walmart really, Marcus, is Walmart really serious about this? Will you see it through? Right? That's one of the things about conferences that uh, always that I love and hate about them. Is one one is there's all kinds of great ideas that come out and get you all excited about the future and what we're capable of and everything else, and then they run into the cold reality of of actually getting it done. And that's one of the things that I want to address this afternoon when we talk about yeah. uh, DE and I. And I know that that's a, a topic near and dear to your heart. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm about to put you on the spot. If there were a single thing in relation to DE&I that I could do to make this intractable, what, seeming, what seems to be an intractable problem. One thing that I could do today to, to move the ball forward, what, do you, what would that be? I take a pragmatic approach and I would recommend the same. Pick a thing that you think is going to add value to that part of the world that you're trying to provide inclusion and equity with and passion, champion it. So, you know, I'm working, as I said, with T on rural health. And we're focused on figuring out a way, either with CDC grants or whatever, to try and do a pilot in a space like West Virginia or on the reservations to actually bring healthcare using digital to that part of the world. And just focus on that for a bit and see if you can do it. If, you can, if we can achieve... Even the test in West Virginia, if we can achieve that, then we can prove to the world that this is doable and we should figure out a way to get, get it done. So use your, use your actual skills to, to make a difference. Exactly. So I, w I focus very much on rural health, uh, you know, the, the delivery of care to those markets or those people, but also the startups. So female fu getting female-funded startups going, getting underserved entrepreneurs funded, get them out in the marketplace because they're also having a hard time. You can you hear every day somebody getting $20 million, $30 million in Palo Alto or in Cambridge, Massachusetts or in Austin, Texas. But what about Knoxville, Tennessee? There's some great entrepreneurs there doing some great things. They just happen to be African-American. How do we get them involved yes. and how do we get them funded? So that's the other thing I'm doing. Great. Well, one, uh, one final question for you. Did, uh, how did Curry Club survive the pandemic? <laughs> So for you listeners who don't know what he's talking about, I did a monthly, we do a monthly curry club where we get together with like-minded folks and we have a curry, a beer and a chat. And we've had people get married through the curry club, start businesses at the curry club, all sorts of things. So we shut down in April. We did our first, re, first one with vaccinated folks in October and we, we had 30 people show up. Um, but we didn't, yeah, so it was tough. It's it tough. was very tough. But it's still alive. It's still alive. The next one's in November. Uh, and then we'll start going, because more and more of the members, so there's about 230 members, uh, and they're all slowly all vaccinated now. So right. 
and the staff are vaccinated and everything else at the restaurant. So I sense a brand extension for you that uh, that you might want to take to health when it's in Vegas next year. Okay. All right. Yeah. Look forward to Good. it, Steve. So do Thank I. Thank you. Thank you. Ritesh, thanks for being here. Uh, you've been listening to the MMNM podcast. My name is Steve Madden. I'm the editor-in-chief of MMNM. My guest has been Ritesh Patel from Finn Partners. Ritesh, thanks very much. Steve, thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks.